Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bienvenidos and welcome. Episode 39 of the Believe Nick Show. Matthew Miranda joined, as always, by Stacey Patton. Uh, first, before we get into anything, I want to thank the Believe Nick Show audience. Last episode was our most listened to episode ever, and kind of by a lot, by 25% more than any other episode we've had. So I want to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank them for that. Um, clearly, everyone who has abandoned Deezus and Miro is coming over to our show now, and I feel like that's the way it should be. So as one great pod organism dies, perhaps another one comes into greater life. So Stacy, congratulations. You are a rising podcast star. <laughs> Not if I'd go that far, but uh, it's definitely been a lot of fun to um, to do this. It's been uh, I've always learned a lot from you, and, and um, lucky to to pod with Schwinn as well um, on the, the Strickland pod. So uh, it's been fun. Mm-hmm. I want to um, take advantage of our growing basketball audience by asking you a question about fast food. Earlier today, Jeremy Cohen. Tweeting about the Wendy's four for four meal. <laughs> Let me start thinking about French fries. Can you read the tweet? By the way, it is pretty good. I will. I will pull up the Jeremy tweet. Um, <laughs> I got it. I got it right here. All right, go ahead. He starts off in the middle of a maelstrom. A lot of reports circulating, and I can confirm the deal. Is it Donovan Mitchell? Is it Julius Randle? No. Wendy's four for four dollars does include a junior cheeseburger, four-piece chicken nuggets, junior fries, and a fountain drink. Quite the heist for patrons looking for a lunch or a dinner option from the fast food restaurant chain. So, in the spirit of that, and we've talked about junk food before, but I want to know fast food-wise, what is your premier? Oh, that's fast easy. Foods? It can be burgers. It can be tacos. It can be. Any pizza, any, anything you can get fast food wise. It's a Friday night. You've got some money to burn. You're in a strange town. You know. If I'm in Queens and I'm near a good pizza place, I'm going to pick that. But in terms of chains. Yeah, I'm thinking more chains. Yeah, there's an easy answer. There's a very easy answer. If I'm on the West Coast, there's a very close 1B, I guess. But for me, it's Taco Bell. Taco Bell is easy, number one. Um, I am, um, those who don't know, I'm of Indian descent. So growing up, my family was vegetarian. I eat meat, but, um, Taco Bell, if you ask Indian people, especially raised here, what their favorite fast food is, I would imagine that you're going to get like the highest volume is going to say Taco Bell. It's very veggie friendly, very flavorful. I generally just love Mexican food and Apologies to Mexican audience that would say that's not real Mexican food, which I, I do agree with you because I've been to Mexico and had real Mexican food there, which was on another level. But for fast food, it's Taco Bell. Um, if I'm on the West Coast, In-N-Out is a great option. Um, but I often still pick Taco If I lived on the West Coast, I'd probably still pick Taco Bell more than In-N-Out. But when I'm out there, I want the change of pace. But um, it, also, it also depends on where you are. Like if I'm you know, I've got, I go back to Michigan a lot. If I can have the opportunity to get Middle Eastern food there, like halal or something, I'll get it. Mm-hmm. Which um, I will say a controversial thing for some of our New York audiences. Um, I do think halal is better in the Detroit area than 
I love Halal guys. I love 53rd and 6th. But, I mean, Michigan Michigan has – I mean, it has the largest – I think it has the largest Middle Eastern population in the United States. So you can get a lot of great falafel, chicken and rice there. Um, But that is – I, that's the only place I think where I've had it better. And, uh, but yeah, those are my thoughts. What about you, Matt? Before I get into that, what is your, your go-to Taco Bell order? Assuming a normal, you know, normal things are available. Yeah. Mine is a Mexican pizza minus meat with beans instead. Cheesy gordita crunch, same thing. And a bean burrito. Uh, so when I go to, I don't try to, I try not to go to Taco Bell that often, but when I do, I'm going to make a count. And then if, um, let's say I'm under the influence of um, certain other. Um, the weather. <laughs> let's say the weather. <laughs> I'll probably add in a crunch wrap in there too. Okay. I like that. I, um, Taco Bell's not my final choice, but it's up there. And uh, Mexican pizza, I've never gotten it with beans but i like that actually um bean and rice burrito i always get um and then probably uh a dorito taco or two better actually with the beans i think than with the meat um i don't i eat meat but i don't like i don't seek it out i, I won't eat anything that has two meats in it that seems like unholy and disgusting to me somehow and very american Extremely American. Um, does not appeal at all to me. Um, my number one fast food joint, and I had discovered it fairly recently in life, but it's just so good. Is Five Guys? Like, would you do you like five? Have you have you been to In and Out? I've never been to In and Out. I've been to the West Coast, but I've never been to In and Out. Um, that's always the one that comes up. I, but you prefer Five Guys to Shake Shack? Yes. I yeah. think almost entirely, well, a couple reasons. Um, I mean, the burgers are really good, but it's the only fast food place I can think of that you can put A1 on your burger. And my mom always put A1 on, like, burgers when she made them at home. And so to this day, like, if I cook myself a burger at home, like, I'm putting A1 on it. So the fact that I can get that at a, at a fast food place is incredible to me. And not only are their fries terrific, but... The fact that you can order a, a little fries, as they call it, and still get like a paper sack that is leaking and almost transparent, like halfway up the bag, because there's that many fries in it. <laughs> like they give you a cup with filled with fries, but there's then like two to three times that number of fries just in the bag, and like that's also very American. Um, but that's the American that I like, where it's just like here, like if you want to die. This is an order <laughs> of something sensory. Like, go for it. It'll be worth it. <laughs> yeah, like if you're gonna go, Neil Gaiman has a a story where a guy lives in a. It's like a mask of the Red Death thing. So he's in this place in Italy where magically the Black Death has never somehow it's never gotten in. These people have been. Is it set during the time period? Of yeah, the, so they've like, been having yeah. the same night of debauchery for like hundreds and hundreds of years. Because um, some magic spell keeps out the Black Death, and there's a guy in there who, he he at the pinnacle of his debauchery in particular, he gets killed while having like an orgasm, simultaneous orgasms with someone while being like stomped by an elephant. Like there's all these crazy, like just specific hard to achieve details, but he gets it, 
Um, so, having covered now fast food and orgasms, let's move on to the <laughs> portion. What else is left in life? <laughs> basketball, and that's what we're going to get into. Um, I actually have a little bit of basketball trivia for you, Stacey. Um, having to do with everyone's favorite advanced stat, win shares. Um, last year, Mitchell Robinson led the Knicks in win shares, which he has now done three of the past four years. Who was the last Knicks center besides Mitchell Robinson to lead the team in win shares? In one year? Yes. Ooh. I mean, the temptation is definitely Pat, obviously. I have a funny feeling it's Tyson Chandler. And I'm trying to remember if... So is this where center was their primary position? Or yes. It's a no doubt about it center. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to leave Amari Stoudemire out. I'm going to go with Tyson Chandler. That's a good guess. Tyson Chandler, I believe, is the second to last Nick center. There's someone between Chandler and Mitch. KP? Not Gustav Sporzingis. Kyla Quinn? I love Kyla Quinn, but it is not. I actually, we should get into this because I was talking with Benji uh, Ritholtz. If you don't follow him, you should. Does a great a lot of great threads. But um, I, with the Knicks' newest center signing, or I guess not newest, but newest new center, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein, I see a lot of parallels between him and Kyle Quinn. I do think Hartenstein has a higher ceiling, but uh, in terms of the passing and all that. Uh, so between Chandler and, oh, Robin Lopez? Not Robin Lopez. Wow. Um, I guess they've had some good centers. Um I would not have guessed this person. Total win shares. Total at end of the season, all the Knicks total win shares. This person had the most. Um, it can't be Joe Kim Noah. Nope, <laughs> he Noah. played a little bit. He didn't play that uh, much. <laughs> he didn't play that much. Yeah. Um, Cantor. Enos Freedom. Let wow. Good call. I did not know. May- if he would get- I don't think I, had- I would have gotten that. I mean, he well, he puts up rebounds and wow, rebounds like per per minute he puts up. Hey, maybe, maybe he is out of the league because of liberal bias. You know, Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> we gotta have we gotta have Enos on the show fairly soon. Um, I actually side note. Yeah, sorry. Let me go ahead. Uh, I um, so I I have a one of my best friends is a Laker fan. And so we always used to watch games together, always talking about hoop and all that. And I used to, especially when Mitchell Robinson was first, like a rookie, second year, I would complain about Cantor so much because I thought Mitch was so much better at the things that Cantor was bad at, yeah. specifically his mobility on defense. Um, and I wanted more minutes for Mitch, so I would always complain about Cantor and his defense. And then for my birthday one year, he, um, I don't know if you've heard of Cameo. Yeah. So he, he paid, he, I mean, he, it must've been 50 or 60 bucks or something. So I was like, you could have got me something like I could use for 50 or 60 bucks, but he got me a Cameo from Enos Cantor. And he told me that he told Enos Cantor that I was his biggest fan. So like Enos wished me a happy birthday. So 
<laughs> your friend is awesome. Uh, <laughs> that's very, very good. Two more trivias. Who was the last Nick guard to lead the team in a full season in win shares? Chris Duon? Sadly, it is not Chris Duon. I'm tempted to say Rose, but Randall definitely read the team that year. Um, I'm tempted to say Rose part one, but I still feel like Robin Lopez probably did. Uh, or Mello. Um, Felton? He was Felton. on good teams, though. It's not Felton, right? No. He's definitely the best, I think, Knicks point guard in a long time. Um, um, Marbury? Not Steph. This person's tied for the second lowest of all the win share totals every season that have led the Knicks. This person's is tied for the second lowest. Were they a bona fide point guard, combo guard? Guard, just a guard. It's any guard. Yeah, then it's Jamal Crawford. It is Jamal Crawford, yes. Yeah, that, that gave it away. Sorry, man. <laughs> um, once you say all guards, yeah, it's pretty much that. The only uh, Nick guard, the only Nick player ever to lead the team with a lower win share total was Trent Tucker in 1986. For those of you who remember those glory days. Lastly, I love this one. Patrick Ewing holds the record for the most years leading the Knicks in win shares, having done so nine times. Since Ewing last played for the Knicks, who has had the highest single-season win share total of all the Knicks? Well, I know the best player was since then. Um, It is not R.J. Barrett. I'm sorry. (laughs) But specifically, win shares is a stat that hates this player. I'm gonna go with the Mari, so I'm gonna go with the Mari Stoudemire instead of the player I'm thinking of. But not stat. Okay, I'm just gonna say Mellow, but I think it's not him. You would think Mellow. It's not Mellow. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Dave Barry was the guy who created win shares, and he was notorious for like hating Carmelo. I think that's part of the reason why 538's first, uh, or like his algorithm hated Carmelo. But that's why 538's first like player model. Like for baseball, it was Pakoda. That's yeah. what Bill James came up with. They made it Carmelo because. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, does not Melo. Who has led the? So can you repeat? Who has led the Knicks? Ewing, who has had the highest single season win share total of any Nick? Julius Randle. It's not Julius Randle. That's an excellent guess. It's not Randle. I would not have gotten this one either. David Lee. David Lee led the team about four years in a row. It was not David Lee. Zach Randolph? No, Zach. Um, I am stumped. Yeah, I don't think I can get this one. King of Vaseline himself, Stefan Marbury. Yeah. At 11.7 win shares. And I think 2005. Um, I, I do got to say, like, Stefan Marbury is one of the most talented players that's ever played for the Knicks. Like, yes. mm-hmm. I think the way it all shook out, there's lots of people to blame or whatever, himself included. But um, I just remember being a kid and I was like, are we really at the point where we're benching this guy? 
Like, oh, no. I get it. He has his shit, but his attitude's so bad that, and I, I, you know, knowing now, like, I think probably it was, but um, that, I mean, that guy was an incredible player. I still don't think I have ever been more excited for a single regular season game as the first one after they traded for Marbury. Because um, it had been a few years since they were any good. McDice had never, um, it really wasn't there, and they weren't good. And, and at the time, the Knicks being bad three years in a row felt like an eternity. And I remember they were playing in Cleveland, and it was freezing. It was the winter. It was like freezing where I was. It was freezing where they were. Um, and this is like pre-LeBron. These are not the glory days of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, it was not a game on the calendar that you usually would care about. But I was like all day. I felt like I was playing. Like all day I was just waiting for like this game to start. And like I couldn't wait to watch a point guard and a New York point guard and an all-star point guard. That did not work out. But that night, man, I, I, I was not as excited for Melo. Because even by then, the Knicks were, like, decent. I thought Marbury was going to pull them, like, I really thought he was such a big deal. Yeah. Same here. So, let's talk about... It's it's the dog days of, of the sports season. Um, and the Knicks have done their part to contribute to the dog days by having a mild controversy over whether or not the media should be invited to cover um, to hold a press conference. The Knicks introduced Jalen Brunson, was it yesterday? Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. Knicks introduced Jalen Brunson yesterday. When, uh, it might have been two days ago, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, this week they introduced Jalen Brunson and um, as has become more and more common, there was no media present, there was no media invited. It was kind of a closed, you know, circuit MSG thing. Um, and some people are bothered by this, and some people are really not bothered by it. I am surprised, and it might just be a vocal Twitter um, sect, but Chris Herring wrote about this too. Like, I'm very surprised at how many Nick fans don't just seem like ambivalent toward the media's presence, but seem actively opposed to it being there. Um, Jesse, what do you what do you think about this issue? What has stood out to you from it? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the first thing is, even if someone agrees with you in principle, you have to look at what that stance does for them. So what has the media done for Knicks fans? They have belittled us for many years. Um, and I and this is another thing I talked with Dan Favell, who I disagree with on this, but is is a terrific writer and had a, a pretty good nuanced stance. His point was you should be able to separate the Stephen A. Smiths from the world from you know the Fred Katzes of the world or people who are are taking a more rigorous look. Um, but at this point, I don't care. Um, I think that we watch the Knicks have fun, and the media I would say has actively de- the mainstream media. And again, I know I sound like a Trump supporter saying this, but ESPN, the beat writers on on the popular, uh, you know, on, on the tabloids, people like I'm going to call them out, Stefan Bondi, Berman. I think is kind of a self conscious troll. We're all kind of in on the joke, so I actually don't have as much of a problem with Mark Berman. But especially when the Nets were coming up, it seemed almost like it was an abusive thing. Like. 
they want Knicks fans to just want to hate themselves and be self-loathing. Um, and anything good or anything that happened with the team, it would always be, you know, if you're excited about the young guys, quickly sucks, right? If you're, um, you know, if you think that Leon Rose has done a good job, well, he didn't draft Herb Jones. He traded the 19th pick, which eventually turned into Cam Reddish. Um, it's it's just constant. And, and I think it really is more of a problem. It's like if you look at it like a barbell curve, right? If you look at it like a barbell, right? So you have on two extremes, you have certain... So at the most local level, you have people like Stefan Bondi who are just spouting this garbage. Um, it's extremely biased. And then on the other hand, you have... Um, you know, people like Stephen A, right? Stephen A is a performative clown yes. that is put up there to pretend to be a Knicks fan. And, I mean, it's dis- it's disgusting stuff. Um, I remember when they drafted Porzingis. I know we're not the biggest fans of Porzingis right now. But he, he went on a... He, he channeled... He quoted Malcolm X, or he quoted the Malcolm X movie, right? He said, when bamboozled, let a muck run astray, <laughs> Right? Because they because they drafted Christoph Porzingis, and then and he said and it was you you watch what Stephen it was purely because he's European. Mm-hmm. The, there's not a whole lot of evidence against that um, because two weeks later when Porzingis had a, a good start to his season, he was like, "I just said that I hadn't really watched him play. I was told that he was a project that was two years from from being." Two, he said, "I was told he was a project that was two years from being two years away." So what the fuck are you talking? You haven't watched him play. What is what value are you adding? What is your opinion that based on the Knicks drafting a project, my opinion counts? That's that's my big question. Like the people that they would be inviting to this Jalen Brunson press conference, what value is being added? Well, they're not allowed to do their jobs. Are their value are their jobs creating value? Now you might say, well, they can hold like why don't Knicks fans want their front office to be hold, held accountable? I agree with that. I think that it would be good to ask certain questions. I don't think the Knicks beat has been reliable at that either, and I don't think most beats a lot across the league are. And when they are, then you get these testy exchanges, which we got some from Tibbs last year. I think there are local beat writers. I'll highlight Ian Begley, <coughs> who will ask questions that often result in the kind of, you know, in tough questions, right? But what I really wanted Knicks beat writers to ask and this is someone like even Stefan Bundy, who gets a hard on every time he gets to shit on the Knicks, wasn't asking Tibbs in post game preferences, press conferences. These guys weren't doing that. Begley was willing to ask some of these questions, and then he would get a standard answer. But what was Tibbs doing last year? Um, why was Alec Burke starting at point guard, even though he's he is a shooting guard, uh, and it hurt his efficiency to do though? Why was Emmanuel quickly getting 12, 13, 14 minutes a game when he clearly had the highest impact? 25 of the Knicks, out of the 25 Knicks top performing three-man lineups, quickly's in three of them. Why was Obi Toppin getting nine minutes per game? If effort and all of these things, you earned your minutes, why can Julius Randle get 40 minutes a game even when he's screwing up and his backup is playing his ass off? And we got some bullshit answer from Thibodeau about, well, everyone loves the backup quarterback it's been they they have failed at their jobs and so even if if you want me to believe yes okay all that aside the Knicks should still have a more open policy fine but I I just can't have any sympathy for these people and I'll I'll go to the last rung on this it's also you know if you're telling me that there are workers who have really come and struggled 
to earn their place, um, you know, hurting their their income, hurting their bread, is is a is kind of a fucked up thing to do. I don't think that applies to most beat writers because you see these positions, um, and how do people come up in the beat? They take unpaid internships. Who is available to take unpaid in- or or they get those unpaid internship from from knowing people that will put them in good positions. This 17, 18 year old kids, like how else are you going to differentiate? I don't think we're really talking about people who have, you know, not had advantages, like unprivileged people. I think we're talking about people that have gotten these positions, however well they're paid now, um, through an unfair process. So I just, I have zero sympathy for them. Very little. Um, I respect certain people. I respect someone like Chris Herring. Um, although even in his article, he acknowledged that a lot of the coverage is pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do your job, provide value, and I think the results will come. And if the results don't come, then yeah, we got your back in that case. But I don't think they're doing nearly enough to really be able to take this kind of soapbox. So am I correct that if, if say, Bagley, um, Zach Lowe, um, Fred Katz and you know Brendan Brown or somebody like that were to be invited, like a small number of people like that. Like, are you of the opinion that like you don't you don't want the press there? Period, or is it that you don't want the press that you consider to be failing in their job to be there? No, I think you want to invite as much as possible. Um, and I think there, the, the part of the Knicks being retaliatory or having that ability is uncomfortable. I won't deny that. Um, if you're going to invite someone, you should invite as many people as possible. Obviously, there's some restrictions. But I think um, I would like to see more. I mean, Alex Alex Wolf should be invited. Right? You should be invited. Um, you know, people like that should be invited um, because I think they've done a better job covering the Knicks. And there's a reason why the Knicks populace at large and by the way like the Knicks populace at large who claims media bias still criticizes a lot what the Knicks do and they read writers who create criticize a lot what the Knicks do um you know look at look at Schwinn Schwinn is hypercritical extremely critical of Tibbs um I would (laughs) if there was a day where Schwinn got a pass to the Knicks you know a press pass to the Knicks for an interview I would love that day um (laughs) <laughs> but so it's not just about negativity. It's about kind of trying to, to be rigorous and whatever your thoughts on Schwinn, he's very rigorous in his thinking. Yes. Um, so, you know, it's, um, it's more about that to answer your question. No, if they're going to invite some, they should invite all, but I get why they limited, especially at an event like this, where, you know, they're just going to get a, questions about Donald Mitchell. And, and again, it's about, it's about the value add. Like, if, okay, if Leon Rhodes started the press conference, like, hey, just so everyone knows, we're here to talk about Jalen Brunson. It's not going to be any Donovan Mitchell questions. Can't you just say that and, like, that, that's basically it? You could still count on certain reporters trying to sneak one in there. That's a fair point. Um, the other one would be, you know, there could be other uncomfortable questions about tampering, right? Uh, and then the Knicks kind of, it's tougher to make a statement about that, um, which I do think is a bullshit investigation. Yeah. Um, did the Knicks tamper? Yeah. Um, because Jalen Brunson probably has dinner with the Knicks' top assistant coach a fair amount of time. <laughs> I think he should be able to allow, I think he should be able 
to discuss anything he wants with that assistant coach in particular yes. without the NBA finding him. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're seeing writers like talk, keep talking about this story. Like, yeah, Leon Rose was his godfather. His dad works for the Knicks. What, like, what is the temp? Like, if this was replace the name Leon Rose with Jerry West and everything else happening in this story, I feel like gets a total free pass. If it was, yeah. like, if Jerry West was um, Luca's godfather and and the Lakers hired Luca's dad or coach to be in a like, it play there 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 is something I do agree, and I think it's because as the national media has bloated, it's become more general and therefore more ignorant in general. But there is. A, there is a population certainly in the sports media that has made a little cottage industry specifically out of like poking the Knicks and Knicks fans. Like I don't, yeah. I've been, I have followed some lousy teams my whole life. Like the Rangers growing up hadn't won famously in 54 years. The Jets have been a disaster my whole life. The Mets are frequently embarrassing, but I've never, I've never seen, and, I, and it's known, like the national media knows the Jets suck. But whereas I think Jet fans are rightfully more masochistic than Nick fans, there's not a lot of outsiders who just make it a point to beat a dead horse about how bad the Jets are. It does happen with the Knicks. I think it happens with the Knicks because it's such an enormous, pokeable fan base um, that hasn't had... Do you think we have a bigger fan base than the Jets, Giants? Are we the biggest fan base in New York? I would wonder if it's Yankees still just yeah. because but I think I think after that, yeah, I think they probably are. Just because there there is it's the only sport where there has never been an alternative. And there still isn't. So um I get I I get why things maybe are different with the Knicks. I do agree with you hundred percent that um I don't I can't remember the last like as a kid I remember when you would watch Sports Center, or you would watch, you know, the NBA on NBA, whatever, and the national press would start talking about the Knicks. Like you were excited because the team was good, and it was kind of like, oh, like my team's getting props, like my team's getting attention. Like you would sit through it because you just you kind of had this pride that your team was being spoken about. And now I feel like I can't remember the last time I cared about what anyone national and what most people local have to say. Like, Berman, I feel for as a human being. I think Berman is making the best of, like, probably a slightly inhuman job, like, where he has to have something to say about the Knicks. Like, I don't have Berman's responsibility or deadlines or history. And there's times just for posting or the Strickland or a pod that I'm like, what the hell is there to talk about, like, today? And Berman, like, has to have shit. Berman has to be out there dealing with the players and the coach. He has to deal with... And you can tell he's kind of in on the joke, right? His personality. Yeah. yeah. I, so I, I think like I respect Berman, um, and I, I, I like Bagley, and I like um, Katz. Rokunov was good when he was there, but there's something to me a bit what's it, uh, scapegoaty about. Like we all know who we're talking about. We're talking about Bondi. We're talking about Isola if he happens to be involved at that point. And we're talking about, you know, Stephen A. and basically ESPN. They're not really a part of the Nick universe that much. Like, na- the national press is not, like, at all. Like, 
I just don't understand how there is a combination of factors that coincidentally lead to the Knicks being like the one team in sports that seems to have this much of a complex about the world is not fair to us. And one reason it bothers me more particularly with the Knicks, like you can make an abstract argument that a team like the Knicks, a flagship organization in a league that's been there since day one in the nation's largest city, is not just a business or not just a franchise, that there is an element to it being a bit of a public trust or a club, more than, say, like the Charlotte Hornets are. The fact that for 40 years, the Knicks have not paid income tax at Madison Square Garden because of a loophole that the Koch administration didn't close, to me, you should be not only then open, you should want to be maintaining good public relations as much as possible. And maybe they understand the world in a way I don't, and maybe they know, like, we're never going to lose that tax break, so fuck them. But there's something extra offensive and gross to me about you're getting a tax break. You don't, you really don't need this tax break. Like you really don't need this at a time when everybody else is is deprived. And you're also like, fuck you. We don't need to talk to you. Like everything you're saying I get. And I, I can't say that. I cannot say that anyone who feels like fuck the media, I don't need them based on what they've given me in life. That's on the media. Like I can't blame people having a fair perspective about an institution that has failed them like completely in terms of what it's supposed to be but let it be a better organization than the knicks that you grant that slack to like i don't know i don't know the tax break thing part of my brain's like that that shouldn't matter it's a philosophical debate but part of my brain is like no 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 that does matter I literally wrote an article that came out yesterday, I think, for the Strickland about how basically since Leon Rose arrival slash basically end of Phil Jackson era through now that the Knicks have been so competently run, like so much of just a normal kind of franchise and even a franchise that I feel like has generally speaking made really only good moves under Rose that I'm ready to start rethinking, like, maybe James Dolan has grown. Maybe he's matured. Maybe he's turned things around because some of the things the Knicks have done. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.